0: Hi, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. This week on the podcast, it's just gonna be me responding to a few questions that I got recently Uh, from a student who took one of my classes. Now, when people take the CSM and the CSPO class, they're not experts when they leave. Um, Some people have had kind of a big epiphany, maybe a light's gone off for them, and they've seen the value of a different way of working. But for a lot of folks, it's kind of a slower boil, and it might just raise some questions that are going to sit in their heads for a while. I was like that when I took my CSM. So in this podcast, the questions that I'm going to focus on, which were sent by a student, they're very similar to the kinds of questions I was asking when I came out of my CSM class. So that's one of the reasons that I want to dig into them. But again, there's a larger question that I think we need to talk about with respect to these. So I'll try to go through them one at a time. Um, The first question was, what are the factors that lead us to the decision to go Agile or Waterfall? The simple, scrum is best suited for complex projects, doesn't seem to be enough, and there could be challenges against that statement. The more complex the issue is, the more effort we would want to spend up front instead of down the road is earlier we detect the issues, the less cost to fix it. So uh, I think there's one fundamental assumption that's being made with this question, and that is that spending all that time up front, doing all that planning and investigation is going to ensure that things work better down the road. And in some cases that, you know, that may be true. Um, the, the actual statement about Scrum being suited for complex projects or best suited for complex projects is because Scrum is an empirical process. And the whole idea of inspecting and adapting over and over again in order to learn and get feedback quickly so that you can keep kind of tweaking what you're doing and focus on the outcome while making the necessary adjustments to get there that's the whole idea behind this type of approach to work. The traditional way, we try to figure everything out beforehand. So you might say, you know, doesn't it make sense to spend more time doing all that planning up front? I guess I would counter that it makes more sense to do all that planning throughout. So replan constantly. You just have to plan to do that replanning along the way. Um, I think that if you can work in a shorter cycle and get feedback sooner that's going to help you understand more about what you need to be doing to delivering the right thing all that investigative work up front all that planning is great stuff i mean it's 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 valuable to explore you know all the different aspects of anything you're going to take on but the problem at least in in technology work, I think with that type of approach is that you're giving up the ability to get feedback quickly. You're spending a lot of time in a room figuring stuff out. And most of the time, you're doing that at the most irresponsible moment in the entire project when you know the least you're ever going to know. And by thinking it all through before you start to get any feedback, it kind of limits your ability to inspect and adapt. So that's kind of the idea behind that. We want to reduce the risk. We want to reduce the cost. We want to find the problems as fast as we can. And the way that we do that is through this inspect and adapt approach to work. Um, So hopefully that helps for the first question. The second question, which is a little bit different. uh, We know a perfect scrum team should be cross-functional, but in reality, we're far from that. The question is... How to fix the velocity gap between the roles to maximize their efficiency. For example, developers code faster than testers. Usually when the system is huge and a single change would require a lot of regression testing. We know we can fix it by adjusting the ratio among the roles, but the amount of work changes over time. If we keep adjusting the ratio, we will not have a stable scrum team. So I would like to first address the idea of of the scrum team. When we're talking about the developers who are part of the Scrum team, those are the people that do the work. And on that team, you're supposed to have everybody you need to take a post-it and turn it into a shippable product. Um, That's going to probably include, you know, if you're building software, it will include some developers, maybe some designers, some testers, maybe a BA, other types of roles as well. And one of the things that the Scrum Master is supposed to be doing with the team is helping them move from being a group of individuals who think, I have stuff I have to do to being a group of people that think we have stuff we have to do. So every day when they get together in the daily scrum and figure out how to redeploy themselves, the idea is that, you know yes, I might be a great developer, but today we need more time on testing, so I'm going to spend more time doing that type of work. And if I'm a tester and we're knee-deep in the development work, maybe there's not a lot of development I can do But there's other things that I can do that are going to help us later on, like write test cases, start to build some of the automated testing, things like that. Or you can try pairing, you can try mob programming. I think that the idea of trying to, from a top-down perspective, maximize the efficiency of the team, it kind of leans back towards this Frederick Taylor mindset of optimizing the efficiency of workers in a factory, which... At a certain point in time was a very valuable way to look at what people are doing. But for the knowledge work that we do now, that's not really the best approach. Or I would say it's not, it's definitely not an agile approach. Um, what we want to do is get a group of people together who are skilled and have a lot of creativity and a lot to offer, give them some problems and let them work through the best way to fix it. But part of the spirit that 's supposed to be you know built into this team is this relentless pursuit of improvement, so if there is work to be done optimizing how they 're spending their time that 's really up to the team it 's not something that 's supposed to be pushed down on them um, and i want to I want to pause for a second here before we go on to the third question because this is kind of digging into what I see as the bigger issue um, and i 'm going to use myself as an example so when I came out of c s m training I was very focused on, you know, still in a project manager mindset. So I was looking at things like this, like how do I get them to do this? How do I make them do this? And part of the personal transition that I think a lot of, you know, traditional project managers go through is slowly having to learn how to let go of some of that stuff that, you know, to realize that the the burden of trying to make things efficient, that's not your gig anymore. Your gig is to help get them whatever they need. I mean, if you're going to move into a Scrum Master role, help them see themselves themselves as a team and do whatever you can to enable and support them. But really, you're there to help them rise up to the challenge of Scrum and put it upon themselves to find the most efficient way to work. And that's not something you can push down on people. You've got to create that question within themselves. So how do you get the team to want what you want them to want without telling them what to want? And that's, that's one of the reasons in the class I spend so much time focusing on social engineering because it's such a big part of this job. But um, there is no perfect scrum team and there is no way to kind of maximize, push down a maximization of efficiency. It's really up to the teams. And I would expect that there's going to be things on a good team that they're going to plan in, like some slack for learning and growth and maybe just some downtime, because that's part of keeping the system flowing. And it's up to the team to optimize how that works for themselves. It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily max out every single hour of the day with labor. There has to be some slack built in there too. Now, into the next question, and then we're going to come back around to some of this stuff. So Uh, The next question is, as user stories do not contain the requirement details, the requirement is actually conveyed through discussion between PO versus dev team, how can we capture the product specification? The product specification is extremely important for many purposes, including the training of new team members doing impact analysis, or for the PO to know how the current system works so they can plan for future improvement should we spend effort to compose update product specs if we do will that be a user story or just count it as overhead so the first thing i want to say about documentation is that if you need documentation you should do it there's nothing that says agile or scrum doesn't want documentation it just doesn't want unnecessary documentation and if you are going to do documentation it should be part of the acceptance criteria for a user story if you're doing user stories Um, onto the subject of specification documents. There are plenty of reasons they might be necessary. Maybe it's a regulatory thing or something like that. But what I encourage folks to do is always be willing to question why you actually need it. Um, The argument that's often made is, you know, well, at some point in the future, uh, we're going to have to know why we made this decision, and we're going to have to know whose fault it was, and you know, some developer is going to want to read a bunch of specification documents to change something. They're not. They're gonna to want to look at the code. And if the thing's broken, figuring out um, who was responsible for making a decision that led to something that, you know, at the time seemed right but now is broken, that's not really helping you deliver value for your customer. I think from an agile perspective, you'd want to identify the problem and get it addressed as quickly as possible. Now, if the complexity of you know what you're dealing with necessitates some kind of specification, great. But again, I would encourage that documentation not to be done as part of a big upfront thing, but maybe an as-built document or something you're capturing along the way that includes the necessary details. Um, But again, always be willing to go back and question that. If you're going to be hiring and training staff and you need some sort of documentation for that, of course you would do that. That's just common sense. It's important, I think, when you're coming into this space to not get caught up in that myth that Agile doesn't want documentation. There's nothing that says that. What we're trying to do is focus on getting the customers working tested software. And we never want to create documentation at the expense of delivering that thing that they can use or sell. So the documentation, if it's necessary, you want to include it as part of the deliverable. Definitely make sure it's in the acceptance criteria, because if you don't, you're going to end up with this sort of, uh, it's similar to technical debt, just all this writing that has to be done at the end, and the level of quality probably won't be there, and it will take a lot more time to get it done. So you should be paying that down as you go, but always be asking the question, does this documentation either provide a higher quality product at the end, or meet some sort of regulatory purpose? What is the reason we're doing it, and how is it helping us ship faster? Because if it's not doing that, I would start to question why you're doing it. Now, gone through those three questions, and to me, there's a larger question here, and it's really more about questioning whether or not Agile is something that is worth doing. And I think that's a fair question. Anybody coming from the waterfall should and will be asking that question. One of the things I try to caution people against is trying to take an approach like scrum and push it into a waterfall mindset or map it directly back it's not meant to map directly back because it is a response it's a fix it's the thing that's supposed to correct the old way of working um, it's easy for me to say that it's easy for me to go into class and tell lots of stories about how this stuff works great in different places but for most people coming from the traditional side of the house until they get a chance to see this work they're not going to believe it and there's no way past that. So what I would encourage, uh, the the person that asked these questions, what I would encourage you to do is the same thing that Mike Cohn encouraged me to do when I took class. When I left my class, I went up to him with a bunch of questions and Mike said, just go back and do this the way I taught you, be disciplined about it and wait and see what happens. And you will see results. And it did take me a while to stop doing things to cause it to fail. But eventually I was able to take his advice and that's when I saw it really deliver. So, um, It creates a lot of confusion for people coming from the traditional side of the house. There's a lot they have to let go of. So if you're from that side of the house, have a little patience with yourself. If you're dealing with somebody from that side of the house, realize that as irritating as they may be to you, it's far worse inside their own head. So. Um, try to have a little patience with them and just be willing to take some risks and try to give it a chance to work. That's the thing. You have to be open to the opportunity. So, um, I hope that was valuable for, for some of you, hopefully for the person who asked, who asked the questions. Um, if you've got any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, typically I do these with other coaches, but because of the nature of these questions, I wanted to take this one myself. Um, you can always send your questions to dave.prior at leadingagile.com. And you could send them as text. You could record yourself in audio or video. We'd love to do that too. So anything is welcome. uh, And thanks for your time.